Dat is Bergkamp! Dat is Bergkamp! Ja, ja, ja! Daar is hij! Ja, ja! Daar is Klaassen, goal! Welcome to podcast 48 from Football Aranya, talking all Dutch football. You are listening to us on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes or Football Nation Radio. I'm Michael Statham and I'm joined today by Michael Bell to preview Real Madrid against Ajax in the Champions League, the Netherlands squad call-ups for later this month and the latest news in the Eredivisie. Thank you so much for your support and sending in your questions for this pod. Please leave a like and subscribe if you're new. We hope you enjoy. Mike, um, thanks for joining me. We're going to start the podcast talking about um, the Real Madrid against Ajax Champions League match. So Ajax lost the first leg 2-1, but there's hope um, in this return leg that Ajax can turn it around and qualify for the next round, the quarter-final of the Champions League. Um, what do you make of the chances, Mike? Because I personally thought that um, Ajax were outstanding when they lost 2-1 at home. And, well... With, try and leave that refereeing decision aside, they should have won that game. Yeah, um, going into it, I was pretty pessimistic about their chances just because the form that both clubs were in, Real Madrid were the ones that were you know, flying and Ajax were a bit drab. But yeah, it's such a shame that you know Ajax created so many chances, just couldn't finish them and you know got hit by a sucker punch. And that's you know what Real Madrid do. Um, this is their competition and they always seem to find a way to get get the results and you just feel really bad for Ajax because they did outperform them for so long. Um, but, you know, all hope's not lost. You know, Real Madrid have lost three in the balance at home and I'm actually more confident in their chances going into the second leg than I was going into the first. Um, I think if Ajax play the same way, get the same chances, there's more likely a chance they're going to take them and if they get the first goal, the Bernabeu will get edgy and, you know, Real Madrid don't have Sergio Ramos has been so key and he was basically their man of the match in Amsterdam when they fought him. Hopefully Ajax can exploit the defensive weaknesses that they have and hopefully take their chances because a Netherlands win would be, or sorry, an Ajax win would be huge for Dutch football's coefficient. Um, you know, even if it was just a 1-0 and they didn't get through, just a win to put them back into that 11th place would be, would be huge. Yeah, the coefficient is massive for Dutch football. Um, 11th place, allowing them to have that second um spot in the Champions League group stages, uh, the top two teams would automatically qualify and Ajax win would put them back in the driving seat for that. Um, and even better if they can get through to the next round with extra points for that coefficient. Um, Mike, you some really good points there and a good summary of the sort of chances that Ajax might have. And we have one of the many questions we've had on Twitter this week um, is from Mohamed and he wants to know what the best formation strategy that Ajax should go with to beat Real Madrid next week. You mentioned that Ramos is missing, so how can Ajax exploit that? I think you saw it in the first leg. Um, you know, he played the variant with Dusan Tadic for the middle and he caused them all sorts of problems, um, getting the ball over the top. And I think um, Ten Hag will go with the same same lineup. Ten Hag, uh, Tadic for the middle, Ziyech and Neres on the wings, try and get the pace of those three in behind the Real Madrid defence. Um, you know, the only worry is that Varane's back and he'll be the leader of that defence. But I think with, with Tadic in the form that he's in, he has to start through the middle because Dolberg and Huntelaar just aren't performing to the best at the moment. And um, with Neres on the wing, it, it provides the best chances for them going through. Uh, we had two two questions in about Dolberg as well. You mentioned him there. 
uh, being off form. Um, and both were asking about, does he deserve that starting position in that Ajax team? Or should it be Huntelaar? I personally think that Huntelaar's sort of out of the question, I guess, for this match against Real Madrid. I think it's Dolberg or Tadic to play at front. Um, Tadic is working well as that sort of false nine sort of striker um, so that he can move around and other players can move into that nine position around him. But um, I personally think, Mike, that Dolberg should get a chance because, or certainly as a substitute in the second half if they need those goals to get through. Because I thought Dolberg uh, bullied um, Tom Berkelsdijk the other day. I know it's odd and hard, but Berkelsdijk is, is quite is one of the other reasons he's better defenders. And um, he, he did show a return to form. And there's always a question over Dolberg if he gets getting the goals or not. But this season, you know, he scored 10 goals and 4 assists in 17 appearances, in just in the Eredivisie alone. Um, I personally think he deserves another chance. Do you agree with that? I think that... You know, it's difficult with this Ajax side because if Dolberg's going to get a chance, who do you take out? You take out Neres, put Tadic on the wing. Um, you lose that bit of extra pace that Neres brings and trickery. Um, I want to see Dolberg get back into the form that, you know, he came into the Ajax side back in, you know, the Europa League run. He's sort of hit and miss since then. But I think Tadic, through the middle, his bustling qualities and his just experience um, up against Varane has got to be more key. And if it isn't going well, yeah, you can throw on Dolberg. It's just, who do you take out that Ajax with? And I think Neres is more of a weapon than Dolberg is at the moment. Yeah, I agree, actually. That's a good point. It's hard to pick another player to make way, especially with Neres' pace on the counter-attack will be really important in, in Spain. Um, on that topic of, of picking players, um, Johnny van der Beek, I'd just like to pick him out because I think he's been outstanding in recent weeks and we've we did uh, put a couple of tweets out on Twitter about him as well um, about how well he's playing and he's turned things around hasn't he since the start of the season when he wasn't getting picked in the starting 11 um, and now he's a goal machine he's really important in the Ajax team what's changed who has changed that I think um, you know Ten Hag's substituted him a couple of times you know the fire nord result we saw Van der Beek came off he was furious I think um, that's a bit of a wake-up call for him. I think his form's improved since then. And he's sort of changed my opinion of him because when he came through, I thought he was a bit of a Davy Klassen. You know, he scored the goals in the midfield, but he didn't really have much else to his game. Now I think he's you know, a great option as a number 10. I think he's got so many positive aspects to his game. He can pass the ball, he can dribble, he can score goals. He's great at finding those little spaces in the box. And I think, you know, going forward, he's got to be a better option for the Netherlands um, he's got to try and break into that side because you've got to look at the midfield right now you've got Frankie de Jong who's a definite starter you've got Martin Darun doing so well for Atlanta and then you've got Ginny Wijnaldum playing the number 10 spot you know, it's, it's going to be hard for him to break into that Netherlands lineup at the moment but he brings something to to each side that he plays in he's just um, I think his, his qualities around the box are just different than anything the Netherlands have at the moment and I think um Going into Euro twenty twenty, might be a breakout star. Yeah, he um, he's 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 just been so much more effective, hasn't he? I think talking about the Netherlands squad a little bit later on, it'd be interesting to discuss the midfield options. Just final point on Ajax then. So we're both feeling more confident that perhaps they can get through. Um, but as a question from Total uh, Romdota, and he wants to know how far Ajax can go in the Champions League if they end up beating Real Madrid. 
but you can knock out the holders and you know <laughs> uh, you can go all the way but yeah there's plenty of tough teams in this this competition at the moment you know you'd love to say that Ajax can get through and then take on anyone they shouldn't be afraid of anyone but I don't think Real Madrid are the best team in the competition this year I think they're if they get through this they'll be underdogs for whoever they get in the next round um, like I look at the, the Liverpools the Manchester City's the the Barcelona's might have far too much for this Ajax side so, I mean, just getting to the next round would be absolutely huge for Dutch football. And I think if Ajax can do that, then that's a massive achievement. Agreed. I think it doesn't really matter how far they go. I think because they'll face a, a really tough opponent, whoever it is in the next round. If it's a Man City or Barcelona, it does get extremely tough. And Real Madrid are just a little bit off the pace in La Liga. And that's why it just makes it a little bit more possible that they can beat them in, in Madrid. But a very tough task. That's enough of a preview about Real Madrid and Ajax then. Let's hope that Ajax can get through and make a difference to Dutch football. Um, we need to preview the Netherlands squad next and there's upcoming games against Belarus and Germany. Now, Mike, on the YouTube channel, we've discussed, um, I discussed with Charlie about who should be starting for the Netherlands at the moment with these upcoming games. If you haven't watched that already, please go and give that a watch. Um, but Mike, let's get your opinion. Is there anyone that you've noticed that's starting to come into form and perhaps deserves the Netherlands call-up? Now it's been quite a long time since the last friendlies. Um, who would you who would you put in that squad now? I think if you're looking for somebody that's not really been in the squad recently, uh, you got to look at Rick Karsdorp at Roma. Um, he's sort of battled back into the lineup. He got a negative injury that's kept him out the past couple of games, but at right back he could be the challenger to. Denzel Dumfries, um, you know, Kenny Tete is still not playing for, for Leon Legrelli. Um, and I know Kuman likes him for his defensive qualities, but, you know, Karstop offers so much going forward that he could be a great option off the bench or as an alternative to, to Dumfries, who, for me, is still the number one choice at the moment. Um, going forward, I think Netherlands have a bit of a crisis in the attacking areas at the moment. Memphis Depay, he just scored his first goal of 2019, but he's getting so much criticism. In the French press, I still think he's going to be the key man going forward. But then you look at who's going to partner him up front. Um, Steven Bergwijn, for me, is the most informed Dutch forward around at the moment. He's in sensational form this season. His best season of his career. He's sort of the, the key man for PSV at the moment. More so than, say, Herving Lozano. Um, so I think he'd start up front for Memphis. Then on the left-hand side, you've got Dan Juma and Del Rosano injured. You know, Ryan Babel's not really done much since he's went to film. He's been missing a few open goals. He scored one goal. You know, his confidence has got to be got to be low. I know he brings something extra with his defensive qualities to the Netherlands side, but then go look at who's going to fill that left wing spot. You know, Quincy Promise kind of being converted into a right wing back at Sevilla. So I might give a chance to someone like Calvin Stengs at AZ, who's been in great form since his return from injury, scoring goals, he's assisting got a great goal in the cup mid midweek and um, you know someone like that getting a first call up would be nice to see yeah Calvin Stengs has been influential for RZ since coming back from injury and it should be no surprise that RZ have come into some good form in the area of his ear as well um, I I think that he should get a chance Stengs and it also just um, settles him into the national team it also gives him that next target to become that regular in the national team if he can get that first cap then he'll be looking for more. Uh, there's been a few questions asking us about will some youth get a chan chance at just Stengs or Zerkze 
who's been in good form for the Bayern Munich youth teams. But wouldn't you say it's a little bit early for that, Mike? Oh, yeah. Um, he's actually he's only 17. He's only just started his first game for the under-23s. He's got a hat-trick. He's banging them in for the under-19s. He made his unofficial debut for Bayern in the summer. He's been on the bench a couple of times, but he's still not made his first-team debut. And I don't think Ronald Koeman can really pick somebody that's not even playing for his, his club at the moment. And he's a massive talent. Um, he's one for the future. I'd like to see him get integrated more quickly into the under-21s. You know, you've seen, you know, under 21s not qualify for tournaments for years now. It seems to be a bit of an issue that seem to go for forwards that aren't really that great. Um, you know, Zivkovic was the main man going into the last Euros, which we didn't qualify for. And, you know, he's not he's not really the striker that's going to lead the Netherlands in the future, where you've got players like Dylan Vente, Sievhus, um, Zirksi coming forward. So I want to see these players more integrated. Ray Dan as well at Chelsea. You know, he might only be 17, 18, but get him in the under-21s, get him regular competitive action in that group before he can make the step up. You can see why people are getting so excited though, can't you? Because of the sheer lack of options up front for the Dutch national team. Oh yeah, um, desperately need a new striker to come forward within the next couple of years going into, not necessarily Euro 2020 because we've still got Memphis there, but you know the next World Cup after that. You've got to look for somebody that's going to make that breakthrough, and the likes of Ray Dan and Zerksi are the ones that are coming through. You know, the under eighteen level that could be something sensational. Just hopefully they get the chance. Hmm. Yeah, let's hope so, and let's hope the World Cup isn't too too um, short a time for them to develop ready for the first team. Let's hope that it's a good time for at least one of these strikers, maybe a Searhouse, to truly develop and get into that first team. Um, at Ajax and then the Dutch national team. Uh, we've got a question from Jacobi and he wants to know about who we would put as a starting left-back position for Aranya. Uh, again, this was mentioned in a video on our YouTube channel. About we, we, Charlie and I gave a debate about who we would put as the sort of starting left-back and it was sort of torn between a daily blint for experience, a Patrick van Aanholt for someone who offers something a bit different, a Crystal Palace, but again, is he that option that's strong at left-back, that can be strong in the air? Um, there's also Jecho Willems, who used to be a regular on the Dutch national team, but hasn't had the games in Germany to truly persuade Ronald Koeman for a call-up. Um, Mike, what's your take on it? And who would you put there looking ahead just for this month? I think it depends on what system Koeman wants to go with. I think if you look at in the past, he's gone with a five at the back. Uh, it worked really well against Portugal in that friendly last year when he played Tony Valhena there, which was a bit out there, and you know Ryan Babbles sort of played there. But if he plays with a four, then it's going to be Daily Blind. Um, I think he's just for some reason he's just undroppable for for Kimmin. And if you look at he's not going to play in the centre with Van Dijk and Delict. That that those two positions are theirs. And if you look at the midfield, it does look sort of settled with Darun and Frankie sitting. So I think Daley Blind is, is the left-back. He offers something with his passing ability and he's got experience. Whereas I think Van Aanholt is a bit too gun-ho um, for, for Koeman's liking. I think he's more of an attacking left-back. In terms of Jeter Willems, he seems to be playing more as a midfielder recently for Eintracht Frankfurt, which is a bit interesting. Um, he's going into the midfield slots and that's somewhere I think he, he could, you know, 
explore because if it's passing ability and it's crossing, that's what his big huge key assets were for PSV is ability to, to cross the ball. So he's got a vision to play in midfield. So I think he's, he's sort of lost that option to be a left back. So I think going into the squad, it's got to be Van Anholt, Daily Blind, and if anybody else gets it, it'll be like a Vilhena or Babel. Do you think the fact that Daly Blint hasn't been playing left-back for Ajax is making it tricky for Ronald Koeman and perhaps is the reason why Blint has struggled recently for the Netherlands? No, um, I think Blint can play in those various positions. I think if it, he is the sort of player that can just adapt to a left-back slot. He hasn't been his best, but I think Koeman, yeah, he'll just rely on his qualities, whatever form he's in. You want that experience at the back, especially if you've got a younger player like Denzel Dumfries starting a right back is going to want more of experience on the left hand side, and that's what Daily Blind offers. Okay, it's still a tricky position though for Kuman, and I, I guess he's got options all over the pitch apart from the left back position and the striker position. The rest is purely um, it's, it's a wide right, wide range of selection, particularly at centre back at the minute. There's so many options um, that he's just spoilt for choice. Um, would you change the midfield though? I mean, you've got De Jong, Jadon, and Van Alden. They're the easy choices because of the role they play on the pitch and we said about Van der Beek earlier but he doesn't really fit into that system does he? I think if anything he'd have to play in the 10 role instead of Wijnaldum. Yeah I got a tweet from somebody saying that you know Van der Beek's form means that he should replace Wijnaldum but I, I just don't think you can drop you know, somebody that's playing so well in the Premier League for, for Liverpool who's going to you know they're a force in the Champions League this season and they're going for the Premier League title and Wijnaldum's been a big part of that and he performed during the Nations League. I know he's sometimes maligned for his form, but that was because he was playing next to Kevin Strutman and neither of them really complemented each other. But I think when you've got somebody like Frankie de Jong who carries the ball and you've got Wijnaldum who can pick up those little spaces and make those driving runs. You, know, you saw Wijnaldum's goal, I think, last month in the Premier League, which was a brilliant finish. That's what he can bring. And I just don't think you can drop him at the moment. Um, Donny van de Beek would be the option but he'd be the option as the replacement from the bench and I think um, Darun and Frankie de Jong complement each other so much in the Nations League that you can't drop them especially for somebody like Kevin Strootman who's you know, moved from Roma to Marseille and it's, it's not gone well I don't think he's played very well in France and there's you know, question marks whether he should actually be in the squad let alone be starting so yeah I wouldn't change the midfield at all going into these games no, I don't think I would either. Um, and it's just good that Netherlands got that consistency going into the new campaign to qualify um, for the Euros. Uh, and especially as well before the Nations League semi-final, which is not far away at all. Um, just a quick question that one, Mike. Uh, has there been any talk of any friendlies perhaps being announced before those games? Because literally, otherwise, this Belarus and Germany games, the only games in preparation the Netherlands will have. So will there be any games in the run-up to the semi-final against England? don't think so. I don't think there's been anything announced so far. I think the, they'll probably play a bit of a training camp beforehand. I don't know if they'll announce something in the next couple of months, but I think once the season ends, Kuman will get the group together and they'll prepare for a long time for this England game because it is crucial. You know, winning it would be huge um, this tournament. Um, but that's two games. Two games at the end of a long season do you know, everyone's really want to, to play friendlies leading up to them to, to risk injury. Um, I wouldn't really think so. So, in wildest tournaments going on, the other clubs, uh, the other nations will be playing qualifiers as well. So the lack of options around, really, you know, the South Americans will be 
heading into Copa America. Uh, so yeah, there's not really much options for Netherlands unless they go to smaller nations, which wouldn't really be much of a test for them going into those games. I think yeah, I think the best best preparation would just be getting the group together, getting them ready for England. Yeah, good points. And I suppose England might be thinking the same themselves after a really harsh Premier League campaign that I don't think their players are really fancy and are friendly, but equally uh, maybe some good preparation having uh, only having a big gap of a few months in between the games. Um, I had a question from Martin, and he says, with minimal playing time in Roma, is there any chance that Justin Klauvert could come back to Amsterdam on loan? And you know, how important is it for Klauvert that he can get back to some playing time? Because struggling at Roma and he's so young he needs game time is he going to come back on loan and is he still an option for Ronald Koeman in these March in these March matches no um, he's not an option at all um, at the moment he'll be part of the under 21 squad it's, it's sad because you know I think it was a bit predictable I think everyone saw that him going to Roma was going to end um, one way with him on the bench you know I had a bit of hope thinking that you know he's got the qualities to to break into that side and make a difference but when he's getting the chances he's not scoring goals he's only provided three assists this season he's been rooted to the bench and um, for the last two Serie A games you know they lost 3-0 to the rivals Lazio this weekend and you think if you know Clivert's on the bench if they had that much trust in them if they're losing they would turn to him but he wasn't one of the three subs picked there's rumours already going around that they're going to send him out on loan next next season, but I think he'll go to a different sort of competition. I don't think he'll head back to the Netherlands. And for me, I don't know why Ajax would want him. Um, I think they would, they've got Tadic now, they've got Neres, they've got other attackers coming through. You know, Clivert left. He could have stayed and he could be playing in that side right now. But he left. Um, I think he'll go to another competition, maybe Germany, France. Um, it's a club that will be playing European football and maybe the Europa League like a mid-table sort of side. He won't go to like a big club. I think he'll go to somebody like a, a Wolfsburg or a somebody like that sort of level to get back into getting regular game time because right now he's he's out of form. He's he's not playing. He's not providing anything when he comes on. So it's going to be crucial for him next season to go to somewhere he's going to play week in, week out. But I don't see him back in the Netherlands at all. I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion, but... My, me personally, I just have never really rated Klaver that highly and I never thought that he truly impressed at Ajax. I think he was a good player. But I'm thinking back to someone like Anwar Ghazi where he was a good player for Ajax but maybe w never outgrew that level of football. Again, I think like Klaver, I don't think he ever outgrew the league, outgrew Ajax and um not saying he has no potential. I think he does but he never really showed at Ajax and I know that we both agreed that he wasn't ready to leave for Roma but would you agree with me that maybe he isn't cut out for that kind of level cut out for the Dutch national team a regular spot for me he's got qualities that you need in a wing he's got pace he's got a little bit of trickery he can finish but he's lightweight at the moment I think and that's his biggest problem I think when he goes to somewhere like Italy he just gets bullied um, so he needs to add something more to his game strength wise you know, I've, I see him as high potential, but I don't see him as high as, say, a Bergvine. I see Bergvine as a much better player in the future as him. Um, I think Clive will one day be back in the Netherlands squad, but I think he's going to have to go somewhere else next next season and really 
work on his game because if he goes to a mid-table side next year and doesn't perform, he's he's going to be he's sold by Roma pretty quickly and he's going to be finding himself, maybe dropping down levels like El Ghazi did um, or like Memphis did. You know, Memphis went to Manchester United, a lot of potential. Didn't really work and he's at Leon now. You know, maybe that's what Clivert's going to happen to Clivert, like a Leon side. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think it's all doom and gloom. I don't think it's over for Clivert in any way. He's still really young. I think he's still got a lot of potential about him. Okay. And one last question about the Netherlands before we talk about the Eredivisie. Um, a couple of people asking about Idrissi. So the news with um, Idrissi this week was that the RZ winger chose instead to play for Morocco and represent Morocco, despite um, developing in the Netherlands and playing in the, in the youth teams. Uh, and now uh, he's decided to play for another uh, national team. Um, William, for example, says, with Idrissi now committing to Morocco, how much of a priority should Koeman place in giving caps to young players? Um, especially for someone like Ihatada, uh, who's playing at PSV. Um, he can also play for Morocco. So is there a priority in Koeman getting these players capped now? And he also would like to know whether we should play, place an emphasis on um, them playing those games and getting caps against Belarus, for example, this month. For me, you know, Ziek was the player that everyone looks back to that should have been capped by Netherlands. He was, you know, under 21s. He was ready for the Dutch national team and he got overlooked by. Um, I think it was Blind at the time, and then he chose Morocco. He's the one that I would say would fit into this Netherlands side at the moment. Idrissi, I, he's not good enough for me for Netherlands. He's a really good winger. He's got potential, but Morocco's a good choice for him. Um, I couldn't see Idrissi getting ahead of like a Bergvine or a, a Promise or a Memphis at the moment. And if he's going to have a national career, he's, he's got to pick Morocco. I think he had words with Kuman, and Kuman basically told him that he wasn't in his plans at the moment and that's basically why he's decided to choose Morocco because you need to remember he got invited to a squad meetup um, a couple of months ago during the last national team and he still wasn't sure so I think he was still holding out for, for Netherlands but basically got told that he wasn't going to be part of this squad so I think that's what's behind his decision but you've seen it recently with um, Dan Juma Gourneveld Nigeria Nigeria were circling around him um, and he got a Netherlands cap because he was showing such great form for, for Club Bruges. In terms of Iharan, um, there's no rush. He's only 17. I think if he got a call up after four four games for PSV, uh, it would be a bit strange. You know, the KNVB has a plan around Iharan. I think we'll see him getting integrated quickly into the under-21s and I think it'll be... Maybe if Netherlands qualify... For Euro 2020, with a couple of games to spare, you'll see him getting called up and getting capped and maybe getting told that he's part of the plans for possibly getting into the squad because if High Hatteran keeps his place in that PSV midfield, which is a possibility at the moment, um, then he becomes an option. But right now, it's a bit too soon. But with him, it's going to be crucial because he is such a talent that would keep him ahead of Morocco. But I think the KNVB, after losing his yik, will definitely look more at keeping him. Than, uh, I think this whole issue with losing Dutch players to the Moroccan national team um, has been blown out of proportion a little bit. I think Idrissi's kind of brought it back to everyone's attention, 
But uh, as you said, Mike, he's not good enough to play for Dutch national team. And he's 23 now, and he's not at the kind of level at RZ that he probably hopes to be um, to be called up. Um, with Ziyech, I think it was down to mismanagement from Blint at the time. And we all know how poorly his reign was with the Netherlands. So again, I think he's one that definitely got away. But that wasn't... I think if he, he was coming through now, I think we'd see him integrated by Wanakuma into the team. Um, and then you've got players like Amberabat, uh, who also at the time of Ziyech, he kind of um, he emphasised the, the worry that we could be losing more Dutch players to Morocco. But again, he hasn't proved to be good enough for the Dutch national team. I think in future, you'll see a lot less of it happen. Um, and I think that he had to, unless he really wants to play for Morocco, will be choosing the Netherlands. And I think you can see that because he's already chosen to play for the under-17s when he won the Euro competition with them last year. But that's just me personally. I don't think there's actually an issue with players choosing Morocco over the Netherlands. Yeah, I think it is just um, blown up by the media basically because of that ZX situation. I think you're right. Amrabat was the one that clocked everyone, but then, yeah, he's not really done much since leaving Feyenoord and he's not good enough. I think we'll see it down the line um, with Xavi Simons, the, the young Dutch midfielder at Barcelona. You know, he can switch to, to Spain. You know, the KNVB are going to try and get him. He's already part of the Netherlands under-18 side. You know, he's only 15, 16. He's the next one that's going to be a big debate around. But I think uh, the KNVB is much better run at the moment under Koeman. And I think you're going to see these players, especially when Netherlands looking back to you know, qualifying for tournaments that these players are going to pick the Netherlands over over Morocco. Yeah, I think it's the next few years we'll see a, a swing in that again, and the uh, Netherlands will be the first choice for many of these players. Yeah, I think as a nice little sort of segue, a little bridge into our final topic, talking about the area de There's a question from um, someone who works for Field Fairies podcast, and he wants to know about Bart Ramsalar, why he's no longer receiving many opportunities to play because he looked like a great talent when he first came through into the fold for PSV, and he was capped quickly by the national team. So what's wrong with Bart Ramsalar? Yeah, for me, it's a strange one. Um, I think we were all excited when he came in to that Utrecht side, and he played so well. He got his Netherlands co-op. He looked like he was going to be a big talent. PSV paid the money for him, got him in. But he's a bit like Adam Meyer. You know, he came to PSV with a lot of you know, hype, and he just couldn't reach the level of having to get into that PSV midfield. He was he was a regular for Koku. I think Van Bommel has different standards. Um, if you're not playing well, you're, you're dropped. I think we've seen that with Pereiro. We've seen it with Gutierrez, who just can't get inside. And there's youngsters coming through like Hatterin and Sadelek who are getting the chances now. I think if Bart Ramsar was doing it in training, he'd be part of the side, but he clearly isn't. I think there's something going on off the field, maybe he's not trying hard enough, maybe he's, his form's dipped. And Van Bommel just sees other options as you know, being better than Ramsar at the moment. I think it's going to be a case of him leaving in the summer and trying to get his career back on track it. Yeah, maybe a back to Utrecht or an AZ or heading to the Bundesliga for a for a club like a Werder Bremen, Wolfsburg to try and rekindle his career because I don't think he's got any future at PSV at the moment. What I found really 
um, surprising for Mark Van Bommel, one of his most surprising um, managerial choices of his PSV reign so far, is that when PSV uh, beat Excelsior this weekend, uh, he decides to play a midfield of Rosario, Sadilek and Ihatala and left players like well, Ramsala out of the team. Um, Pereiro. Why, why is that? Is it simply a case of he just thinks they're better? Maybe, or maybe is it because they're more hungry at the minute to play for the team? Because to have three very inexperienced midfielders play for PSV, that's quite a big decision from Van Bommel. It is, but you've got to look at the performances before that. Three draws in a row. Um, he gave Pereiro his chance and he didn't take it. I think it's a wake-up call, I think, for these more experienced players. He did it with Lozano as well. You know, if you're not performing, you're not going to play. And you've got these youngsters coming through. They'll probably be starring in training. Van Bommel was probably saying to like a Pereiro and a Ramsar, look, if you're not going to do it on the pitch, week in, week out, you're going to be on the bench because they've got these talents coming through who want it more. Um, yes, I think Van Bommel is just a very strict man management. Um and he wants to get the best out of his players and he's trying to give them basically a kick up the arse um, with the likes of Pereiro and Ramsar who basically aren't showing it week in, week out. And yet, then we come back to the argument we had in our last podcast about Ellington Harker, Ajax and the difference between him and Mark Van Bommel and how Van Bommel is the boss and Ten Harker perhaps is not um, as made by the Dutch media. This whole, this whole impression that Ten Harker perhaps hasn't quite got full control over his squad and yet you see this with PSV and we're here I was here just now questioning it, but a good response, mate. Perhaps this is the reason. Van Bommel's just got them where he wants them. He's, he's got these young players that really want to play and, yeah, have a chance, go and play. Um, and I think with, with PSV's title charge, it's, it's helping. They're getting results. Um, but let's see if they can get back into the fold towards the end of the season. Because someone like Pereira as well, they might be looking for a good transfer fee for him this summer as someone that's ready to move on. Um, he hasn't in, totally impressed at PSV, but I'm sure that there's someone that PSV want to get a transfer fee for. But if he's out of the team, how can they get some money for him? Yeah, I think the past couple of windows have been linked by moves to Argentina. I think Boca Juniors were the, the last team I heard that were in from. So, yeah, I think, you know, they didn't pay too much money for Pereiro. So I think if they get sort of seven, eight million, then they'll be happy for that. He's not like a Lozano who they're basically banking on bringing in, you know, the, the big money, like the 40 millions, in the same way Bergvine. I think these are the two that PSV are looking at and saying, like, look, if they're going to go in the summer, we want big money for them. So I think they will retain their places. Whereas someone for Pereiro, you could probably still get about 10 million for him. So I don't think he's that worried about that at the moment because his big concern right now is getting that title ahead of. Ajax and I think he's he's playing the best players for that. You've seen Sadilek come in, you've seen Hatrin come in and they've not disgraced themselves. They've shown that they are ready for this level and they've shown that they are the right decision because they got that win. If Excelsior had beaten PSV, it would have been a huge mistake and everyone would have been pointing at the fact that Van Bommel left all these experienced players on the bench, but he didn't. So I think Van Bommel right now looks stronger because of it. I think he should be lauded as well because in the past, I've had goals at Philip Cocky for maybe not playing those youth players at the right times. Um, but now Van Bommel's come in, he's, he's given them a chance. And this is great for Dutch football because these are the future. You've got Gakpo and Malin coming in as well. These are the players that are going to replace the Bergvines and Lozanos when they leave. And they're ready now. Um, and they're showing that in the Eredivisie. Yeah, definitely. 
And another question here relating to PSVs from Matt. Why are PSV so upset that Ajax against Pexwala has been postponed? Um, PSV could be eight points ahead before Ajax play again. Points are much more important than games in hand at this stage of the season. A good question from Matt. And I guess just from my point of view, I, I'm not so sure why PSV are, are so aggrieved that the Ajax game has been moved. The Ajax game has been moved, in my opinion, for a good reason. The fact that they're playing against Real Madrid, they want the best for this Dutch coefficient, on the best for Dutch football's future, which I'm sure PSV also side on. But yeah, why are PSV so upset though that they could they could have a good advantage at the end of the day, as Matt says? So, what's the argument to be had here? For me, I'd say that it's more Pexvoa that are mad. They're the ones that were threatening to take them to court. I think PSV were just having a little dig at the KNVB. You know, it's their main title rival. This why I say that they're upset. Because they want, say if this happens to them next season, they'll, they'll basically kick off a fuss if it doesn't. It's because it's the first time it's really happened. PSV will be like, oh, well, we never got any of our games moved, say, when we were coming up against Atletico Madrid a couple of years ago. Um, so I think what we'll see in the future is if PSV get to you know, this sort of stage of the competition, their games will get moved as well. Whereas I think it's more Pex Foa right now that are the ones that are mad about it because it's been moved till midweek. The fans maybe that have bought tickets are going to find it harder to get to to Amsterdam. Um, it's put them out. And, you know, I think I've seen that Ajax have offered to put on a free bus, which is good to get those fans down for the game. But it's going to be a later kickoff, you know, on a Sunday, say the latest it would kick off, or, or Saturday. Um, you know, it could be a half-five game, it's not that bad. But I think those those fans don't really want to travel down there on a Wednesday night, you know, eight forty-five local time, and then have to come back all the way away at night. So I think that's the reason why Pe uh, Pex Vora are so mad. But I think PSV just having a wee dig at the KNVB and basically expecting that they'll get the same treatment if they ever get to this this competition level. Because as you say, as you say, it's, it's great for Dutch football if Ajax get through, and that will benefit PSV. Yeah. And that is the key, the key point here that this, this is for Dutch football, which is not to benefit Ajax as much as PSV and final fans might think the opposite. On the other hand, if you think that in general thoughts about when you play for a big team, you're competing on many fronts. If for Ajax weren't playing that semi-final against final of the Dutch Cup, I would argue that maybe that match wouldn't have been moved. I think that they looked at Ajax's schedule and thought, well, there's league games here, there's a cup game, there's the Champions League game. And I think that maybe that was a bit too much, a step too far. So they thought they'd move the game. I think that's when they need to be a little bit more careful because at the end of the day, if you play for a big club, you need to be ready to play huge games twice a week. And I guess that's where an argument could be made for, for PSV. And if it happens in future, yes, they do have to be consistent, like you were saying. Um, a final question this week is from a strange name, Fish Rhino. Um, he wants to know if any other team in the big three can win the Eredivisie in the next five to ten years. What do you think, Mike? No. Uh, short answer. Um, I don't think the resources are there at the moment for, say, a Vitesse or a AZ Alkmaar to challenge for the title. I think, you know, you see that AZ will get a squad together that maybe can, you know, when you had Johan Bakash and Vincent Janssen and Val Vekhorst, these sort of players scoring goals left, right and centre, they still couldn't get there. 
and then they get gobbled up by big teams. You know, you've got to look at the last days they side that did it. You know, they had some great players, but they also had Louis Van Gaal. You know, you're not going to have coaches of that sort of level taking over uh, an AZ or Vitesse at the moment. Um, you know, Vitesse aren't getting that link with Chelsea as much now. I know it's still a big joke on social media whenever Chelsea sign anyone or, you know, the whole Kepa situation or saying, oh, enjoy your own at Vitesse next season. But there's not very many players going from Chelsea to Vitesse at the moment. Um, so they're looking at other avenues as well. And I don't think that they're going to build a squad that's good enough to challenge a PSV or a, an Ajax because, say, Utrecht do, and they have people like Bart Ramsoir, PSV and Ajax will just buy them. And they want to cost them like four or five million. They're not going to cost them like 30 million. Um, I know it's a big problem in other, other leagues. And that's why there's never really much competition for, say, where I live in Scotland. If a club challenges Celtic, Celtic would just buy other best players. And it's, it's the same um, sort of thing in the Netherlands, not to a lesser degree. I think, uh, yeah, for the next five to ten years, we'll just see PSV and, and Ajax battle out and maybe fine order if they can get their act together. Yeah, it'll probably be exactly what you said there. It's PSV, Ajax and final every now and again when they get a special squad together because the finances do make that huge difference. And Ajax getting to this stage of the Champions League, again, it will make that gap even bigger. I think, I'm think i thinking back to around about five, ten years ago here when the Netherlands um, had had was known for its title races and it was known to be a bit more exciting in between sort of long periods of time when it was just the top two or three teams that were constantly battling out for leagues. Um, and you, you saw someone like Vitesse make a ch- title challenge as well with Wilfred Burney, you know, playing, scoring the goals at front. You saw FC Twente making um, some really good runs for the title. And they won the title, of course. I said won the title in the past. So it is possible again, but they just need to close that gap. But I think because of Ajax and PSV stretching that gap and getting further away and getting stronger squads, which is good for Dutch football on a, in, in a continental stage when they're playing in the Champions League and Europa League, that's good for that. But it doesn't help for the league standard um, widening that gap even further. Uh, I think that just next season, if we can see a title charge from RZ, if they can keep their best players, which I think they will, I don't think there's anyone in the RZ team that's ready to move on. If they can do that, a new manager, a couple of new defenders, they might have a chance, but that's just being optimistic. But I don't think we're going to see a Leicester-type surprise in the Eredivisie and someone come out of nowhere and win the league just because the money's just... It creates such a big gap. And Leicester was one in a million and you might see something in the Netherlands, but it's highly unlikely for a long period of time. Something fundamental would have to change to one of the clubs just financially, I think. Well, if you look at Ajax this summer, they're going to sell a lot of players, but that's going to bring in hundreds of millions. And you're going to see them go for players like Dusan Tadic. I think they're going to step up their quality, especially if they don't win the title this season. There's going to be a big move in the summer to bring in quality players from abroad. And that's even going to strengthen the gap even more because it's not going to be a case of Ajax are playing a lot of youth. It's going to be a case of Ajax are playing a lot of strength. Um, whereas... Even AZ this season, you know, Calvin Stengs, he's come out and he's started to play well. Instantly in the Dutch media, it's like, oh, should I act Simon in the summer? Even with Adrissi and Maya, they start playing well for AZ. It's like, I actually sign them. I get 80 million out, sign off three of them. Um, maybe they're not that good enough for an Ajax at the moment. But they're getting those heads turned by those journalists that think that 
you know, AZ isn't the, the peak of what he can go in and everyone's, you know, AZ is a stepping stone to one of the big three. Until that attitude changes, then you're not going to see, I think, an AZ or a, a Utrecht challenging, really, on a regular basis. Yeah, that's a good point. If if I could get a couple of players in and be that team that says, we are going to try this season to win the title, you'll soon start to see the, that kind of attitude change um, for that club and it will be not a stepping stone club anymore. It will become one of the teams that want to push a title and a club where players can develop and move on to another club abroad rather than within the same country. It's a good point. Um, just a final point about the Eredivisie. Um, how have you? Th- what have you thought about the the refereeing standard this season in the league with the introduction of VAR as well? For me, I like VAR because you know it cuts out the mistakes. But there's also the, the problem that sometimes it also comes down to yeah, the referee can watch it again, but it still comes down to his interpretation of it. You know, he sees these things, and sometimes. The, there's some really poor referees in the air division that's been shown up this season. Um, you know, there's no Mike Deans, there's no there's somebody that's just out for his own own gain and he wants to be the man in the middle. You've got some great referees in the Netherlands, but there's a couple of them that are really dragging it down at the moment. Um, and some farcical decisions have been made in the past couple of weeks. I think we saw another one yesterday with a red card that just wasn't, you know, two players going for the, the same ball, you know, one maybe a little raised fruit, but I think the problem with VAR for me is when they watch the images back, they slow them down and everything always looks worse in slow motion. Um, and that's why you get so many penalties given or so many red cards because the way they're watching it and the views and the angles that they're seeing, sometimes it looks a lot worse than when they first see it and it's, it's natural speed. And it just comes down to what the referee thinks at that time. You know, you hark back to that one against Real Madrid you know, VAR seems to have taken some of the fun out of football, some would say. You know, because everybody wanted to see what would have happened if Ajax went 1-0 up against Real Madrid instead of 1-0 down. I think it would have been a totally different game. Um, but for me, I think VAR is going to take a couple of years to get its full effect. I think we'll eventually see it on screens. And it might be a bit like a tennis or a, a cricket in, in England where you, you see the decision played over and over again the crowd get behind it and they actually know what's going on because right now it's a case of the crowd are waiting and wondering what these conversations are that the referee's having with somebody then you see him going over to a little box watching himself and then he makes a decision it's not really involving the crowd i think that's where the big problem is at the moment yeah but at the same time does that not start to bring too much of the home support into the decision making itself would that not lead to too much pressure i mean for example I brought this up because I thought the other day when I went to this match, I went to um, a lower level match in England. I watched Torquay United against West Supermare, and by God, the refereeing was dreadful. Um, there was a clear, clear, clear difference in what the referee thought was a foul for one team and the other. There was an incident, for example, with, um, with, with a throw in. There was a confusion of which player was taking the throw. Um, so there was some. There was some uh, pushing and pulling and some pulling of the ball um, from the opposition player, even though it wasn't their throw. And then a minute later, it, despite being a yellow card being shown for a Torquay player, down the other end, something very similar happened where a Torquay player bats the ball out of a West Supermare player's hand and there's there's no consistency. One player got shown a yellow card, the other player didn't. And um, 
what I'm trying to say here is the home support makes that difference. The home support get on the referee's back. If that's with VAR and everyone sees the decision, does that not get the referee's back even further? And if you're not 100% professional, you're going to be swayed by the crowd. Possibly, but I think um, you know, right now you know, those fans are paying to watch the games and they're not really being included in the major decisions. I think, you know, you, as I say, like, I think VAR is inevitable. It's, it's here to stay, but in these tweaks, I think you saw in the Premier League, they don't have it at the moment. You saw in the London Derby yesterday, there was a few bad decisions and then everybody's pro VAR. And then in the Champions League, if there's a VAR decision that is a bit weird, everyone's against it again. I think it's going to take a couple of years before we see VAR absolutely perfected, but I think it's something that is needed in the game. Um, it's going to make it better eventually, but over the next couple of years, there's just too many inconsistencies with it. I think if you saw in the Feyenoord Ajax game, the first Ajax goal, Delict scores from a corner, which shouldn't have been a corner. And I think that Feyenoord were asking why didn't they go back to VAR and see that the ball came off Tadic instead of the Feyenoord defender and disallow it. And I think the excuse was that VAR doesn't look at things like that when it looks at the big decisions that the referee misses. So I think UEFA really need to look at the rules in FIFA as well and really stem down on some of the little aspects that have come out in the past couple of seasons because it's still in its infancy. It's still being tested out everywhere. And I think um, there's got to be mistakes over the next couple of years until we see it maybe three, four years down the line being much better than what it is now. Yeah, and it's good that the Netherlands got to be that one of the guinea pig leagues to try and test it out because it has made a benefit, but you still see some really um, poor decision-making from some of the referees, both watching the match back and also on the pitch. Um, Mike, thank you very much for joining me in this podcast. A very long one, but I'm sure everyone will enjoy listening to it. Thank you. No problem, thank you. And we'll record another podcast very soon with loads coming up, including the Netherlands fixtures against Belarus and Germany.